Welcome to the Folio Podcast, where we talk to leaders, experts, and some very smart people in the architecture, engineering, and construction industry. We discuss the building construction lifecycle and everything that revolves around it, including design, FF&E, specification, procurement, and building information modeling. My name is Ingrid Velasquez-Woodley, and this podcast is brought to you by Folio. Folio is a product specification, procurement, and data management software for the AEC industry. With Folio, you can manage your budgeting, specification, purchasing, inventory, and product data processes from end-to-end. Go to folio.com and schedule your demo today. That's F-O-H-L-I-O.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Folio webinar. I hope you are all as excited as I am today. It's been a few months since we did our last one. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Ingrid Velasquez, and I'm the head of content and marketing for Folio. And today, as you all know, we are talking about procurement. Specifically, our panelists are going to tell us all about how their firms have been thriving despite the pandemic. In fact, um, Travis over here, uh, one of our panelists was just telling me the other day about how they're not even looking for new clients at the moment because uh, their workload is already pretty full, which I think you all would agree is a pretty nice problem to have. And actually, why don't I just go ahead and have our uh, panelists introduce themselves and their firms and let's dive into it. Uh, let's start with you, Travis. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Travis Reese. I'm with Global Design Group in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, I'm the procurement manager here. Uh, we are a 100-year-old company uh, that is uh, in all facets of interior design. Um, we mainly specialize in senior care facilities uh, throughout the country. And um, hopefully that's a, that's a good enough introduction for you, Ingrid. That's pretty good, short and sweet. I love it. What about you, Heather? Great. Um, my name is Heather Parker, and I'm with OCG, which stands for O'Kelly Consulting Group. And um, OCG is an interior design, construction management, and general contracting firm um, based in Eagle, Colorado, which is just down uh, a little bit west of Vail, Colorado. Um, and it was founded in 2015. The owner was um, with the Vail Resort Development Company for like over 12 years. And just as that aspect of Vail Resorts kind of wound down and he saw an opportunity to go out on his own and has been fully supported by Vail Resorts. He's on retainer with them still. So we do a good mix of those jobs. And then his wife, Kelly, um, is the lead designer. And he asked her to join him. She was at another large um, interior design company, uh, previously Slifer Designs. At one point it was, had over a hundred designers and was the largest in the country. So she was there for a long time and left and then they joined forces and um, it's just grown. And like Travis, they've also had to turn away work <laughs> for sure. So um, yeah, that's where I'm at now. That is really cool. I'm so happy for you guys. Now, um, as everyone knows, we were supposed to have a third panelist from a shipping company, but they unfortunately had to cancel at the last minute, which is, you know, admittedly a little bit disappointing because um, we were 
definitely looking forward to have somebody, um, you know, give their insight from the other side of the table, so to speak. But um, no worries, we'll still be working with them. And hopefully we can do a sort of follow up interview with them based on today's discussion. There's definitely going to be a lot of follow up. Um, but yeah, let's um, let's before we actually dive into the actual discussion, I would like please to have Heather and um, Travis give a little bit of background into their day to day. So, um, Heather, let's start with you. What um, can you walk us a little bit through what your everyday looks like? Like, um, what are your goals and metrics? How do you meet them? What tools are constantly on your screens? Um, well, every day I, we currently use QuickBooks, although I am looking at other accounting software. Um, so I open that and I'm checking our accounts because my primary role at the moment is accounting. He just really needed to get some systems in place. Um, but then also I provide a lot of support. So then I'm opening QuickBooks and my open folio. And then I start tracking orders after I check that, you know, our accounts are good and do some of that. Um, then I'm doing order tracking and updating things in Folio because that's um, something that we're really using as a tool between the designers and myself um, is that she doesn't even have to email me and say, hey, what's the status of this or that? She is really good at just looking um, in there and seeing where the projects stand. Um, so that's what I do. There is no real typical day. We are a little bit smaller. Um, so I, that's why I chose this company. I really enjoy that. I have a variety of things going on. So then I would be, um, become responsive to the project managers in the field, you know, letting them know where their orders are so that they can uh, line the subs up and get um, that work scheduled. So that's important also that, um, and then they look at the specifications that are coming out of Folio to refer to them as they receive deliveries on the job site to make sure that the right things are coming. And then they'll also mark that up, the spec um, sheets, they'll mark them up and send them to me and let me know if a quantity is off or if there was damage. And then I'll do, you know, a reorder if necessary or, um, you know, make claims, et cetera. Awesome. So pretty much the morning. <laughs> uh, Travis, what about you? Uh, similar, um, Folio's the first thing I open, um, I work on, uh, uh, my day-to-day -day involves basically two monitor screens. I have email up and folio up permanently. Um, and basically I start uh, each day with going over budgets. I'm, I'm normally handed budgets and I'll just mm -hmm. immediately go through the numbers to make sure that we're in good shape on all of our existing projects. Um, a lot of costing. So there are a lot of times where we'll just get maybe a hundred items and we just need to figure out if we're in the ballpark, you know, before we would get close to doing purchase orders or anything like that. Um, and then uh, lately it's been a lot of value engineering, which is a new thing that our company's doing. So when the design process is done, a lot of times our clients will sign off on something and say, yeah, but you know what we'd really love is like maybe to save $50,000 or save a hundred thousand right. dollars. Um, and, uh, which I'm sure it's not unique, uh, just for our firm. I, I think it's probably everywhere right now. So, uh, I'm spending probably 20 to 30% of my time right now doing a lot of projects that we think are completed from the design phase and kind of re-value engineering those. Um, 
And then um, right now it's happening more and more where we're doing a lot of order tracking because lead times are so long. Um, so we're really trying to stay on top of that. A lot of times we don't worry about it. Um, if we have a third party receiver taking in our, pro our, uh, our specifications, um, we'll just sort of forget about it for maybe three weeks, which is not the case these days because so much is happening um, where you might find out that something's 12 weeks behind, that kind of thing. So we're doing a lot more order tracking. And then finally, I do a lot of the install work in our office. Um, mm. we, uh, we do a lot of the install because we're full service. So I'll be on job sites, making sure that um, whatever we're receiving or however we're going to install, some install packet time that I spend, um, which Folio is great with, um, and then just overall budget monitoring throughout that process as well. So Awesome. So two things I'm picking up on here. Um, first, mm -hmm. um, can you guys please tell me a little bit about... Um, the lead times, what were they like roughly before the pandemic and what are they looking at right now? Um, since all of this started, have things gotten better or do you think you're dealing with things better? Either of you can answer or both of you. Um, well, I can say that lead time is like super important because we live in a resort community and people that come here have this is their second, third, fourth, whatever number home, you know, and they have really high expectations already. And so it's not uncommon to get a call like now saying, I want my house and all of these things done uh, before Thanksgiving because they're going to be entertaining. And so, you know, you have to set that expectation early on. Um, that's what I love about um, the group here is that everyone is very direct and honest even if it means that they might not get the job. You know, they're not going to try to sell themselves and overpromise and underdeliver. It's always the opposite. And so it's up to us and the team to manage the roller coaster of what Travis was describing, you know, the lead times and how things are changing. And so you want to monitor that closely, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you communicate every single change as it occurs to the client. You want to make sure that you give them a good timeline that you know you can commit to. And so that means working with reliable um, vendors, you know, and manufacturers that you have a good relationship with. And what I found is that I can't just log on anymore and check status of items that are in inventory or ship dates, that there's been a lot more, um, I guess, handholding and you have to reach out to those reps, so those vendor relationships are super important to get a good response. Um, so that's what we've been doing is just managing the client's expectations early on, communicating with them often um, and letting them know, hey, these are the issues and everyone's you know, what, aware of it anyway, but this is how it's affecting your job and then maintaining and being really responsive um, with the vendor relationships. Travis, how about you? Yeah, similar. Um, we uh, work on pretty long lead times on most of our projects. So we're lucky because we might get uh, a list of projects that are 18 months out or 24 or 36 months out, which is great. Um, in the pandemic, those were all put on pause. And um, as we were able to start getting back in properties, um, 
the clients that we work with were very much like, well, the clock's already been ticking, you know, so where is our stuff or um, s- sort of how are we um, uh, ready to move forward with uh, uh, getting these projects installed or, or just moving forward with the projects. So um, really uh, we've been able to educate on lead times um, mm-hmm. and thankfully um the six to 12 weeks that we saw in most things have kind of grown to like 18 to 26 weeks. Uh, and with most of our projects, if we had manufacturers or vendors that couldn't kind of meet what their expectations were over the last 18 months, we've sort of started to drop them. So mm-hmm. I don't know how Heather's been working with this, but we um, have kind of trimmed the amount of uh, manufacturers we work with to the ones that, like she said, that we have really good relationships with that we know um, that we can trust them on uh, sort of when they quote us a lead time, that that's accurate, you know, Um, that's become really important. That's also what I've seen is that, you know, just generally speaking, we started adding like 20% to the lead times just as a buffer to give ourselves more of a buffer um, when setting that expectation with the client. And then, you know, to Travis's point, I've also seen, newer vendors come in and sort of fill a gap like they've like stepped up to the plate and so I think that's been like a really nice shift where you know maybe someone got a little comfortable and they didn't have their systems dialed in and now here's a new opportunity for someone else you know to work with someone new Um, so we've been very open and you know taking a lot of recommendations we reach out to other professionals in the industry and say, well, who are you using for this? And there's a lot of um, inter-industry communication. I think that's been kind of nice too. You get to build those relationships better. And um, also we've noticed that um, freight, you know, um, items coming from the East Coast versus the West seem to be a little bit better. Um, I don't know what's going on in California, but <laughs> there's not a lot of unloading <laughs> happening, it seems. And I know it's not anyone's fault in particular, but um, those are just some things that we've noticed. Right. Um, and going back to, um, you know, the area where you work, Heather, I imagine that because uh, it's Vail, if you're working in hospitality, a lot of that is probably going to be seasonal as well. And that would affect a lot of your deadlines. Absolutely. Like there's a roof replacement going on that we have such a tight schedule to work around and it's only during certain hours and it can only be these weeks and then you've got to get the subs lined up and make sure, I mean, it's a really tight schedule. So that's absolutely Mm -hmm. true. And then another thing is that because of the way the shutdown previously had impacted businesses, as well as Vail Resorts and all the mountains, then um, they are like, okay, now we see what's kind of going on and they've regrouped. And so we've had a lot, like not a lot, but like a probably three or four last minute type of um, projects for little commercial interior remodels um, that we're scrambling to get done before the holidays. And, you know, nice, they're opening the mountain a little bit early this year too. <laughs> so Very nice. <laughs> so it looks like there's been a lot of, shifting in lead times obviously but how have your budgets been I imagine there's also been a lot of rejiggering in that area Travis you were talking about that a little bit earlier yeah so 
products that were put on hold, we already had budget agreements. Um, uh, supply chain costs have just gone through the roof. Um, so stuff that we kind of with clients had signed off on, um, mm-hmm. we had to go back and say, you know what, we need to increase this by 20% or, um, often it has been, can we value engineer this? Is there a way that we can value engineer this? Or are we pushing it into 2022, uh, work or, or even 2023 at this point? So, um, across the board, I would say it's probably worse now um, than it was at any other point in the pandemic because while I feel like prices have come down um, or prices have stabilized, I think a lot of the manufacturers are trying to make up for it now or the freight prices have have gotten so out of whack. Um, So we're seeing price increases now um, and we're seeing the lead times that are so long when, but it, it feels like the it, it's across the board. So there's no more surprises. I feel like that kind of happened about six months ago um, mm-hmm. where we are just, we know that there's going to be longer lead times and we know that there's going to be pain on any budgets that we already had kind of worked um, in early 2021, I would say. Yeah. What's that conversation like? Um, and Heather, if you could answer this question um what's that that seems like it would be very awkward to go back to your client and say sorry we need more money and we need more time but how does that go um well like my like our owner says um you know he talks to a client initially and there's been a few times he's like man I'm gonna have to crush some dreams here but (laughs) he's like very direct and honest about it um so there's been a few projects that the person's like yeah I'm gonna have to hold off it's just I can't make it work and others are just like you know all right I don't love it but I'm gonna go ahead and get it done um and interestingly our owner is building a new house he's like it's not even what he really wanted to do but because of the shortage of inventory realtors were reaching out to their friends saying, Hey, do you want to sell your house? And so he put this, you know, ridiculous price on there, got a cash offer. And so now he has to build one. (laughs) And, um, he's like, you know, it's costing a little bit more, but anyway, I didn't, he didn't expect the material increase to change like that. So, I mean, I think that's the main thing, um, is just, and also you have to manage, you know, that, that expectation with the client, like this is the budget, but this is what's realistic as best that we know. And then you also, they're building in some extra overages um, for materials because of the long lead times. So that adds to an increase in the budget cost, but it's also important because you don't have time for a reorder necessarily. And I, you know, especially with tile, oh my gosh, it seems like it was just really like damage claim after damage claim and you have to get it reordered and oh now it's air freighted from Spain, you know, so that adds to the cost as well. So um, he's really just selling it on, you know, cost plus is what types of jobs, you know, we can't do, um, you know, other types of contracts and it's too risky right now. Travis, I'm seeing a lot of nodding in your part. It looks like you have some more stories here as well. Yeah. Um, So uh, this kind of goes to some of the other questions that we had talked about, Ingrid. But um, we more and more 
are painting with broader and broader brush strokes with when we pitch a client, when we come up with a design, or when we're even pinning or even when we're talking about budget. So our contingencies are bigger than they've ever been, I would say, mm. when we put together a budget. Um, and um, but also we're not letting a client get too married to an like a one specific whatever the item may be or style because we're now because of the way that the supply chain is we're having four or five items specced as um as kind of backups ready to go so we really whereas we used to almost like we would be down to fabrics really uh get the client to sign off on that we're not doing that anymore so it's a lot more uh just broader, broader brushstrokes. Mm. And if they like the feeling, um, then we'll just move forward with the idea that like, hey, this is a broad budget and this is a broad design that we're going for. And we'll, we'll, we'll focus it once we figure out supply issues and, and cost. Nice. Wow. Um, has there been any sort of, um, you know, just to make a client feel better and feel like they have some sort of control. Like, have you done things like, here's the tracking number, like watch your container. Like I'm not, you know, I, I'm telling you the truth that it is taking um, much longer. Is there, has there been any, um, I guess, efforts to provide more transparency in that way? Um, yeah, we definitely operate on transparency. The client can ask for, they can see anything that they want. Um, and there are some, because it is a smaller community here, if there are locals um, that we know, and they're almost like friends too. And so there are a few, especially if something's coming from, you know, West Elm, for example, or whatever, um, because interestingly, they've been able to ship some things a little bit faster than others that we might like um, with that style. So, um, you know, I've, I've done that. They've asked for the tracking and they just want to set up the appointment. And that also cuts down on their hours costs. So, I mean, we're fine with that. You know, they're not, as long as, you know, you have to limit the interaction with like the vendor directly in certain like custom vendors, you know, we're not going to do that because then that just confuses and there's too many yes. chiefs and not enough Indians in that case. So we have to be careful with that, but yeah, in some cases. Just the right amount of uh, information to give them so that they have something, but not too much that they'll get in there and yeah, like you said, confuse themselves and mm -hmm. each other. Travis? Our, our largest client uh, recently started asking for status updates. Normally we have construction meetings, you know, weekly or biweekly. And we would, they would ask us, how is their ff &E looking or something like that? And we would be able to just say like, yep, looking good. Or maybe there's a few items that are running long and then that would be it. And now they're actually asking for reports. So uh, depending on the project, especially as it gets closer to install, um, a nice folio feature is how easy it is to do reports. So we're regularly doing uh, like itemized ff &E reports where I'm putting in data that just kind of shows, hey, these are the expectations of when we should get this stuff or when we would be able to install it. Mm -hmm. And um, like I said, our largest client for a decade has never once asked us for that. And now they are. So 
they are they're, they're a little jumpier they're a little you know skittish or scared as well and so being able to provide that um which you know heather talks about transparency um we've been so lucky to just be able to kind of give a thumbs up and move forward and that's been our workflow and it's it, it uh but now it's changed and uh and so yeah we're a lot more reporting on it i would say um weekly or, or monthly on on keeping up with the, uh, you have the templates. You have templates for that. If somebody says status report, uh, this is what they need. So just print that off. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So we will uh, very quickly and easily be able to just select an area, a zone or an overall project at Epiphany and, and send that off. So yeah, which is a great feature. We do the same. I mean, it might not be weekly, but at least once a month and some clients yeah really do want it weekly, um, like Travis said, as it gets closer to install as well. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Um, so it looks like um, planning a project is super different now from, uh, you know, from before the pandemic, whereas before you would start with the numbers and all of that right now, is it is it more like, well, Let's look at what's available first and see if, you know, whatever you want is realistic. It, like, how, how is it different now than before when planning a project? Yeah. Um, I don't know, Travis, you want to take that? I mean, I could say that it does, it, it sort of drives the design to a point. Um, you do have to be mindful of, oh, this would be fabulous, but when can I get it? And I mean, there are some vendors that we would, would be our go-tos before that I think they were getting out to 28 weeks. And so that was one we just like, oh, sorry, we kind of have to shy away from that unless the person's really, really willing to wait or they're like push the project to next year. You know, so that's fine. But um, yeah, you just, that's like the vendor relationships again. And being really on top of that, and you know, we'll have them come into the office and give presentations, and then just staying in touch with them. There's a lot of time on projects pre 2020 that we would uh, buy about 80%, install that, and then see where we needed to fill in. We would never do that now because there's no chance that you would find uh, that you would be able to find enough to 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 finish an install. So, oh, wow. um, like I like I spoke about earlier, we paint with broader brushstrokes than we we ever do uh, than we ever used to. We have a graphic designer on staff, which allows us to put together design boards, that kind of thing, if we need to. And so, and we can change those. Um, we also have clients that are doing more design work on their own. Um, so they're giving us more completed projects, which is new. And I, and a lot of that comes down to their investment teams and how they want to be involved a little bit earlier. And so we're getting maybe a more completed specified project than just, Hey, how can we fill these rooms? Or, you know, here's a, we want to do this lobby, for example, in, in a, in a hotel, they might, there might be a, a third party that's that's come in that we're working with um, that has worked with an investment team. They've kind of decided what they want this to look like and feel. And then we're brought in to finish the design and kind of complete it or make sure that it, it makes sense. And then obviously, because we do 
um, the install that we would we would handle all of that. Those are two big changes um, from what our business used to be, which is here's an empty box, fill it, you know, um, yeah. or work with the architect, you know, on what this you know needs to look like. Um, I, I hope that answers your question. Um, it does, it. yeah. Okay, yeah. Are you guys seeing any end in sight? Um, I don't think anyone should say, I can't wait to get back to normal. <laughs> you know, um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm part of uh, the Rotary Club in Vail, and we had a mm -hmm. presentation not too long ago by um, a customs agent and freight uh, expediter. And it was really interesting. So I was kind of excited to hear from the other panelists, but um, he said, you know, they're building ships because the containers are just coming. And if they do get delivered, then they're just sitting in the Midwest that no one has time or resources to bring them back and ship them over. And then they're building bigger ships to get freight over. We've kind of shied away from Asia only because of the times, you know, that have been increased so much. Um, so that was one thing he said, and that he said, you know, that costs were, you know, they might come back down a little bit, but it's not going to ever go to pre-pandemic levels again. And that even he, as being one of the very few custom agents in the U.S., said that normally he could call up and have a shipment and it's on its way in a couple of days. And he's like, it's taking two to three weeks minimum. Um, and so it could be even longer than that. And so I think that's just what we're gonna have to deal with. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. I, I spoke to a manufacturer the other day that was quoting me 2023. I mean, so- That's insane. Are we, yeah, yeah. so are we two years out from normal? And we're also seeing surcharges on ocean freight that are going up, you know, doubling the freight costs. So I think we've been in a really lucky period where the stuff shipping from Asia has been affordable. Mm. And some of those costs were uh, passed on us, but we didn't, there was still a lot of value there. I don't know that that's going to be the case moving forward. And it sounds like Heather has actually seen presentations on that's not going to be the case moving forward. Mm -hmm. um, and this also, also to that point about uh, trucking, in the last six months, this is the first time we've ever had uh, freight sit in warehouses in North Carolina, huge manufacturing center, right, for furniture. And it'll just sit somewhere, maybe Oklahoma City, maybe it's in Chicago. If they don't have enough trucks to even move the stuff, um, yeah. which th these are new challenges that we, we never dealt with before, so... Yeah. So um, my last question for you guys today, because um, I see that we already have a lot of questions from um, the audience piling up. Um, how are you collaborating with other people now? Um, you know, whether it's the design team or your suppliers or your clients, um, what are things that you now find yourself often saying to them like if you were talking to the design team um you know how would you direct them or like give them tips or reminders so that hey if you specify this um this is how you would be helping me do my work so that i can provide you with what you need so things like that um 
I mean, just a few simple examples is just keeping up with uh, price increases and letting them know about that because that's going to definitely impact the client's budget. Um, you know, also the lead times thing. This it's really just like cost increases, freight surcharges that you know the notices that come out because you do get notified of that. I mean, some vendors might give you two days notice that they're going to increase the price on October 1, but um, you can just sort of expect that to happen. I, I anticipate that we're going to get a lot more come January 1 um, with the new price list for 2022. So, I mean, they have to pass that cost on. So just keeping um, the team, you know, apprised of those increases, the, especially the ones that are directly managing the budget and the client. Um, relationships with regards to that. Travis? Yeah, we, um, we were always uh, a team that officed together, but we traveled a lot. So mm. we sort of like kind of half remote worked. And um, during the pandemic, there, we had to quickly kind of ramp up our technology and figure out if we had the tools in place to really be able to see invoices or share reports or to get timely information to contractors um, in, in other cities. Um, so that was a lot of what we did was we spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to like sort of spool up or to uh, be more online and not be so reliant on someone's always in the office. And so they can handle this issue um, because if we were scattered, um, normally there was always just an anchor, someone in the office that you could rely on. And when that wasn't the case, we had to make sure that we had the right tools, um, Folio being one of them, but a lot of, um, a lot of just software upgrades. Okay. Very cool. All right. So, uh, we have a lot of questions, like I said, um, let's, uh, let's, get into it. Um, David Fouché is asking um, how much of the project budget is in folio? Just, is it just the commodities or is it everything? Um, if there are parts of the budget or estimate that are not in folio, what kind of things are those? And I would add, where would they live? Heather, you want oh. to this one? <laughs> well, I, I think I was hoping that you would only because I'm kind of new here with this. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll happily do it if you want. <laughs> okay. yeah. I've only been here five months. <laughs> yeah. Um, sure. Um, so uh, all of our FF&E, so anything we're purchasing is, is in folio um, if it's going to uh, set on the ground. Um, we do not, uh, use folio for construction. Uh, so we don't do any construction management within folio. Um, otherwise I'd say it's 90% of what we purchase goes through folio. And that most of that is because of how easy it is to create purchase orders and to see the overall budgets, but we will, um, our budgets will live in QuickBooks and in folio, and we'll have to marry those when we send a final to the client. Um, because of things like construction management and maybe some of those supplies that don't end up in folio. So cool. that's, the, that's the same as we do. Actually, I'm glad to hear that Travis, <laughs> <Especially> <laughs> your company's like a hundred years old. So that's nice yeah. to hear. Um, 
Yeah, we, everything that is ordered, I create a purchase order and um, it's in Folio. And then I upload, I love that you can upload the order acknowledges. Like we're actually pretty paperless here in our office. Yeah. We don't really use paper. Um, so everything is on our cloud and then we put it in Folio. And so I can upload the things, I can send a notice to the designers and let them know that, you know, the acknowledgement came through, double check all the things. And then um, the same, we create the invoices though right now in QuickBooks because we do add our fees, you know, for mm -hmm. management or site supervision, whatever it could yep. be. So we add those extra fees in QuickBooks to the invoice, but then we do um, have all the backup in Folio. Right. Cool. And one other thing I will add, we recently just kind of reconfigured our folio because we were, um, because we needed this for our clients for, for pitching. We were putting paint samples and all that kind of thing in, uh, into folio, but we've now kind of divided up how our uh, divisions are. Um, and Ingrid, I know it's maybe a little too specific, but uh, we did That's that okay. so that we could, we could easily um, order things like furnishings and keep that, uh, keep paint and that kind of thing separate, so. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's all about, you know, um, flexibility and adjusting to how each individual, you know, firm uses or how you manage your data. And that's kind of the whole goal. Um, all right, so from Queepy and you, uh, any recommendation um, for online community forums for procurement professionals to discuss these kinds of um, industry issues. Are you are you part of any groups? Oh. No. <laughs> um, actually, no. Nope. <laughs> <That's>, no. <laughs> no, but I would like to hear that recommendation. Yeah. If anyone else has one. Um, yeah, not online. Uh, it's just relationships that we have through the years. Yeah. I think is mainly, and then you know, get. I I always am reading everything. Like I have. So I'm paperless at the office, but I'm not paperless at home because I'm picking up everything I can and I have files and articles saved and, you know, just reading everything I can to find new resources is what I do. I guess I'll have a follow-up question to that then. Would that kind of community be useful for you guys? Well, so HD did a couple of uh, panels with some procurement yeah. professionals at the start of COVID. And uh, I listened in on those. And I know that for our firm, we're a design first firm that happens to do a lot of procurement. Um, we're, we're fortunate in that. Uh, but listening to procurement firms, it felt like a different industry um, that where they were kind of working closely with, you know, a, a private equity or a large fund that would be buying hotels, that kind of thing was a lot mm. of what the panelists were so, I mean, I would love to hear about more semi-large design firms that do a lot of procurement. Um, so, yeah, that, that because I don't know where to explore best practices or anything like that. It sounds like Heather, right. Heather's doing the same, trying to find it. Well, the good news is, um, so we were at the last HD Expo um, in July. And there was, and we actually got the idea to do this from there because there was a group of procurement um, specialists uh, at the time. And um, I 
wrote that down. So I'll, I will share it with you guys. Um, from Julie Hogue, um, any freight companies y'all have been using that have been more reliable that you prefer to use lately? Recommendations, please. Hmm. I mean, I think the ones that we mostly see um, would be YRC, um, RAC, which I, I'm not going to say we never refer to as Russian crush, but <laughs> they seem like they've gotten better um, for sure. And then actually uh, just recently, RPM has um, updated their website so that you can track things yourself better. So I think maybe they're tired of fielding the calls and yeah. they've gotten such, so they're, I think that's what we're seeing is a trend of freight forwarders um, allowing for individual access to see where their shipments are. That's yeah, more and more, I think that that's. I think that freight companies have spent money trying to create a more robust website so that you can easily put in a pro number or a bill of lading and actually get some tracking info. It's um, but YRC a lot. I, you know, we're, we're both kind of west, so I, I think that yeah. they do uh, a lot of business um, out of California. Um, we just recently started using. Um, I think it's AM trucking and uh, they've had some, uh, some of the products that we purchase have been coming that way. Um, we try to stay out of the actual having to book freight if we can. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. From Jody Jones, what program do you use for construction management and does it work well with Folio? Um, email, Outlook, if I'm being honest. Um, it's a lot of meetings still um, and making sure that we're all on the same page. Um, some spreadsheets, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, our owner really runs the CM part of the business and he's just constantly in OneNote. He's, you know, definitely paperless and he, every meeting that he's on, he's got notes updated. So there's, you can just see exactly what's going on. He's really good at communicating that way. And then um, we have, you know, our team files, obviously that everyone can access um, as needed, but yeah, email, um, OneNote and just our team folder um, on this, our, our team projects um, on the, on the server, on the yeah. cloud. I don't know, <laughs> the cloud. <laughs> um, gotcha. Ingrid, Ingrid, last year we created an intranet uh, with a login for our clients um, so that they could check on the status. And it was something yeah. that we all did in the office. And um, they, they uh, none of our clients really logged in. They liked they'd rather just get an email status update or they would rather have on a weekly meeting, uh, just a quick update that way. So thank you. that was something that we started, implemented and immediately um, uh, took down. So awesome. I think that's awesome. true. people like the idea of a client portal and it mm -hmm. sounds awesome, but I mean, you know, I, I agree. <laughs> it's one more to do for people that they're not familiar yeah. with. It is. Um, yeah, that's been something we've been uh, asking around about um, is, you know, it's it's an it's an amazing idea. It cuts 
a lot of it gets done a lot of the work for everybody but um people like what they like and you know if they need something and they ask you through email they're going to be expecting it through email as well so definitely a lot of work to be done there um i did just get a heads up from the product team that um Follow up to Jody's question. Um, we are integrate. Uh, we're planning on doing more integrations with construction management uh, software next year. So keep an eye out for that. Um, question for Travis from Huibian: What is the reason clients now want to have more control on the design and provide more completed specs? That's a great question. I was curious about that. that that's that's a really good question. Um, Maybe we're working with clients that are a little bit larger that have in-house design teams. And uh, it could also be a situation where um, finance departments want to know a little bit more before they um, uh, hand off, uh, you know, to the creatives, so to speak. Um, so we, we've just been working more and more with groups that have... Um, an in-house design, some level of design team. Uh, so instead of working with operations, we're maybe working with uh, with you know other designers. Um, so that that's a big reason why. Um, I think the other thing is I think everyone's just so worried about budgets and worried about you know mm. is there going to be money tomorrow for more of these projects? So um, so maybe people are just dialing it in a little bit more before they release it. Heather's is something you encountered as well. Yeah, I think people just are familiar and they know that there's unknowns um, and then they're familiar with certain, you know, retailers that they can mm -hmm. access and then, you know, they're excited too. Like, oh, build my dream house or something. And so they want to provide that input. Um, and I would say maybe some of them are, Maybe this is their first project with an with a design team. Uh, this is that makes sense. Their first, yeah, you know the ones that are probably more experienced. They've done this several times. They're the ones that will just say, "Here, this is sort of my budget, and this is kind of some things I like, and you can run with it." Um, versus mm -hmm. the others uh, clients that I know, I know that this is in stock, and I want this now, and it'll come in time, and so I'm okay with it. Gotcha. Um, well, can I follow oh, up go really ahead. quickly on that? Yes. Um, we do, we have a client that also creates in-house um, what they call legacy properties. And so that it might be like a different tier or class of property. And they tend to be more hands-on with those. Um, meaning they want this to look of a different caliber. Um, so the capital improvement mm. budgets or the capital expenditures would be bigger. Um, there are the, a lot of times these would involve uh, new architecture, new engineering, as opposed to, you know, maybe some wall color or flooring and that kind of, and then new furnishings. So I do think that um, that has been a change for us um, to answer that question would be that the idea of these legacy properties, which would be like, you know, um, maybe of a little bit different caliber. Gotcha. Okay. Um, from David Fouché, um, 
What size projects have you all funneled through Folio, like possibly in terms of budget, but also maybe in terms of sheer number of items slash commodities? Um, well, our, our newest projects that we just kicked off are um, wood frame single family homes. Um, and those will be around two and a half million maybe a little bit more as things go. Um, and that, I mean, there'll, there'll be hundreds, just hundreds and hundreds of items. Um, we're gonna put everything in all the divisions in Folio. Harvest, sure. do you have estimates? Um, I mean, budget-wise, I would say our sweet spot um, that we're normally uh, about $250,000 on a project. Um, in one property, uh, we could have as many as like two or three of those going at a time. Yeah. Uh, so let's just take a hospitality room, a dining room in a hotel or, or in a public space like that. So we'd be buying somewhere between 40 and 100 chairs, tables, table bases, um, lights on a, a lights, you know, fixtures, sconces, pendants. Um, so it could very easily creep up into the hundreds, I guess. Mm -hmm. gotcha but it's i mean you're talking about maybe it's 30 or 40 skews but a lot of items and yeah that's the difference and like yeah. we might have hundreds of skews and just one of each <laughs> so it yeah you know, just depends on the project that's a good point point. and do you feel like um folio handles that just as i think it's just as easy um yeah. for the creating the purchase orders and the tracking it, it, the purchase order part of Folio has been a game changer for our office and the amount of time we spend uh, creating them, tracking pricing, all of that kind of stuff. So um, whether it's, yeah, whether it's 20 of one item or just a bunch of one-offs. Yeah, agreed completely, Heather. Really good to know. Um, so I have one last question. I think this is the perfect one to um, to kind of close out all of this. Um, Neil Fowler is, oh, actually we have one more after that. Um, so Neil Fowler is asking, I work with numerous manufacturers as a representative. What advice would you give so that I or we can be a great partner? Which I think is an amazing question. Be a great partner. Just, I mean, I guess just open mind about um, that we're all figuring it out, uh, that there has been some significant changes in the industries. Um, just have, you know, a little grace and patience and understanding and just everyone go in with a team mindset um, and just build that trust is the main thing. So communication, you know, let the contractor, whomever that you're working with, um, know what your expectations are. Don't be afraid of sharing those. And then, you know, be open to receive what their actual response is. And they're going to, um, you know, say what's, what's real. I don't know if I answered it. <laughs> yeah. Travis. And I would add to that um, because I agree that communication is the most important thing. We've seen... Um, manufacturers reps or, or dealers, um, I would say I would encourage them to make sure that they're uh, quoting any surcharges up front. Um, I, I don't want to price out of a, a project and then figure out that there's 
four and a half or eight percent surcharge on every item, uh, mm. and it, and it's easier for us if they roll that into the cost of each piece. Um, if they just do the math for us, because another line item to a client is never great because um, it looks like you're nickel and diming them. Uh, but but if we have to, we can do that math. It's not hard. Um, but knowing that up front, so if we're quoted on something that comes in at $500 each, but there's a six and a half percent surcharge, um, I, I kind of need to know that so that I know that we're staying within budget. Gotcha. And from Lauren Boyce, do you, uh, do either of you use folio to buy accessories or is it mostly just furniture and lighting? Yeah. Accessories. Um, also, do you? Yeah. Um, we created a project um, that we put the accessories in and it kind of felt like it was a little bit too much time. So we now just create sort of a generic accessories um, uh, row when we do a project because it was quite a bit of work to put every piece in, um, if I'm being honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Travis, have you used mm -hmm. uh, web, the web clipper that Folio has? It makes measuring so, items very easy. <laughs> <laughs> our, our designers use it regularly. They, okay. uh, they yeah, and it is uh, super handy. Yeah. Yeah. No, it does take time, but. I mean, <laughs> and I think Travis, um, I I know that you mentioned something about. Um, telling your designers that, hey, you guys, this is how I put together the POs, the purchase orders. So yeah. if you could please, like these are the fields that need this mm -hmm. type of information. Yeah. And yeah, there's yeah. a lot of education. Um, we went, uh, when, as recently as three years ago, we were still doing like a lot of hard copy um, uh design stuff so we would have kind of a template where we would take like fabric samples and we'd handwrite what that fabric was or we'd have a picture of a chair and we'd do that kind of work so to get all of that on a line um you know in a cell on folio mm -hmm. we just did a lot of education so i would either show or i would show them we would do meetings where i would just kind of show all the designers in the office how i would take their information and put it in the folio um and we would just, we kind of just did that over the course of uh, six months to try to figure it out. And it's, you know, it's, I would say it's so much better um, if, if my job isn't to do data entry for the second time, um, it makes things a lot better. Got it. Gotcha. All right. So um, I think that was all the questions that we had for today, but um just a second here, please. Um, we do have an announcement from um, our project manager, um, Bobby. Um, we've been asking people um, to do interviews with us to tell us what they would like to see, um, what kind of improvements they would like to see uh, in Folio. Um, Bobby, do you mind um, going ahead and telling everyone about it, please? Sure. Uh, actually, let me turn on my camera here. Um, hello, everybody. Uh, so I'm product manager for Folio. Um, recently, we started a um, customer interview and a, a way to capture feedback and uh, suggestions from our uh, customers. Uh, Travis actually joined us for one of those sessions. 
Um, so I'll be uh, including that link and it's a way to book a meeting, a uh, 45 minute meeting with our team. And we kind of reward you uh, for your time uh, with a, a gift card from, from Amazon, just because so, we understand your time is valuable, but it helps us kind of improve the product as well as move it, uh, answer some questions about uh, future kind of features we're working on. So uh, if you are interested in, in kind of booking time, I will provide that link or uh, we'll send it with the with an email also. We appreciate right. it. Honestly, reach out to any one of us and we will direct you to the right person. Um, and thank you. thank you to Bobby and the team because I know whenever I first started and was working with Folio, Okay, all I can say is thank you, Humam, and poor Humam, because he listened to me, <laughs> and I sent lists of things that would be great, and, you know, honestly, in just the short amount of time, they've already implemented several of those changes. It's been, I mean, I think that is what makes um, this software and the team great, is that they're actually listening and really trying to make, um, make a better customer, you know, user face experience. Thank you. <laughs> also, yeah, ask her mom anything whenever he likes it. Yeah, he likes it. <laughs> he's, he's, he's on. He's actually on. <laughs> yeah, he's great. <laughs> he's amazing. All right. Um, yeah, I think that was all we had for today. I really want to thank everyone again for being here. Um, this was an amazing, amazing, amazing discussion. I learned so much. Uh, thank you, Heather and Travis. Um, thank you and uh, for being here, Bobby, and everybody who attended. Um, let's see. I know some of you are going to be asking whether there's going to be a recording that gets sent out. Yes, there will. Um, it'll be sent out to everyone. And um, yeah, thank you so much for your time, guys. See you again next time. Thank you very much. Thank yep. you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, guys. This podcast was brought to you by Folio. Folio is a product specification, procurement, and data management software for the AEC industry. With Folio, you can manage your budgeting, specification, purchasing, inventory, and product data processes from end-to-end. -end. Go to foholio.com and ask us for a free demo.